Galen. And good, again, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Um, well, if you're like me, you're a little weary of what's been going on over the past week or so. Really, the past few days. Seems like things have really hit a climax. And I, it just feels like this constant bombardment <clears throat> of a lot of dire warnings. Uh, just one after the other. And I can remember them as they were coming in. You know, stay 6 to 12 feet away from each other. Um, don't pop any bubble wrap because it could contain air from China. Maybe you heard that one. Um, stay out of public places that have over 250 people. And then perhaps the strangest thing that's come along, and, and, and I heard someone say it, that the reason they've ran out of hand sanitizers is because people are hoarding all the toilet paper. Maybe that's the strangest thing that's come out of this. <laughs> I hope you're not a toilet paper hoarder. And at some point in history, we're going to look back at this moment and decide if we've made the appropriate responses. Uh, and I know that's been challenging to determine, well, what is the appropriate response? Do we just sort of cancel life for the next month or so? Do we cancel all the church services? Uh, is this for everybody or is this just for the elderly? Who is this risk for exactly? <clears throat> is it just with those who have underlying health conditions? Is it just for the pregnant or the very young? All of these things have to be taken into account because we want to do the right thing. That's why we're getting all of these warnings. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see a very stark warning from which we are going to have to ask some of the same questions. Who is this warning for? Is it for me? Is it for someone else? As a matter of fact, this is one of the most daunting warnings in the entire Bible. Uh, denominations have split, as a matter of fact, over the meaning of the passage that we're going to look at today. And I want to look just first at this warning. I just want to give you a preview of what we're going to see. This is from Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. This is a tough passage. And what does it mean exactly? Who's it written for? Who are the people being discussed in this passage? And what do we do with this stark warning that we received? Like you, I know people who were in the church who are no longer present among us. As a matter of fact, I recall a guy by the name of Josh Harris, who back in the 90s wrote this book. A lot of us read it. It was called I, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. We didn't even remember. I, I don't even know exactly what he meant by that, but I read the book and confused a lot of us. But um, Josh Harris, for whatever reason, no longer calls himself a Christian. And you probably know someone in that category. How do I deal with this warning in light of people in that situation? But in this passage, we also get a firm encouragement. In Hebrews 6, it says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. So we get this very stark warning. We get a very stirring encouragement. 
And the question I want to talk about today is, what do I do with this warning and this encouragement? What do I do with this warning and this encouragement? I'd like to read this passage in its entirety today. And if you would please stand with me for the reading of God, God's Word. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12. Hebrews 6, 4 through 12. Starting in verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But... If it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You may be seated. So again, we're proceeding through the book of Hebrews, the book whose underlying theme is don't stop believe. As a matter of fact, we've been listening to uh, the music that Sam has played as we've exited the, the service from time to time. He's played that journey song, Don't Stop Believing. You've heard it a time or two. That's the theme here. People who are about to undergo persecution need to have a strong sense of belief and what they're standing on. Last week, we saw what happens when you Dig in your heels and decide you're not going to grow as a Christian. And the message went out to those people. I want, to, I want you to be teaching what it is I'm now having to teach you. I want to give you solid food. Instead, I have to serve up milk. And we saw this, this they call it an exhortation, an encouragement for these people to grow in the faith. But this morning, we get this warning, this very stark warning and in this passage I want to go to, through today, I, I want to talk about that warning. As a matter of fact, we'll talk a fair bit about that warning they received and what that means. And then we'll talk about that encouragement given. Fortunately, he doesn't just leave these folks, these recipients of this letter, in that discouraged place of this stark and firm warning they get. And finally, we'll talk about what do I do with this warning and this encouragement. What should the Christian response be to the warning that's given in this passage so let's start now um, with that very first verse we read, verse 4. And it says there, for it is impossible in the case of those. Let's just stop there for a moment. Because immediately two important questions are raised. First of all, well, what is it that's impossible? And then secondly, who are those? Notice the author isn't saying you. He's talking about those. He's switched to this third-person pronoun. He's talking about a, a body of people that perhaps goes beyond those that are receiving this, this letter, this, this book of Hebrews. 
So I want to start with that second question, talk about, well, who are those? Because we've got these really descriptive phrases as we go through this passage as to who it is we're talking about. And it says, first of all, it says, those who have once been enlightened. Those who have once been enlightened. And this kind of language is used, again, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, this language of enlightenment. And he says in Hebrews 10, 32, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So it seems that those who are enlightened are those who have been converted, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about that, that moment here, as a matter of fact, that moment of justification, that moment when you, you hear the gospel and you believe it. And then there's this second phrase, who have tasted the heavenly gift. Again, this is another way of saying those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. This is language that Christ uses in John uh, chapter 4, verse 10. This is another way of saying someone who is converted to Christianity. And then there's another phrase, and shared and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a reference to someone who was not receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and now they have shared in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They've received the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They've received the gifts <clears throat> as a Christian that the Holy Spirit gives when someone comes to faith in Him. Again, that moment you put your faith in Christ. Then the next phrase from verse 5, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. This is someone, we're talking about who those people are, someone who has benefited from the Word of God itself, someone who has learned from the Word of God, its teachings, and not only that, but someone who has benefited from the miracles that those apostles performed, the signs and wonders, as they were establishing uh, that they were from Christ, as, they were, as the church was being established. And they were showing people <clears throat> what the future kingdom was going to look like in demonstrating the power that, that existed there and the powers of the age to come, of a future time that they were getting a taste of. So all of these things, uh, all of these phrases uh, make it pretty clear. As a matter of fact, I think they make it crystal clear that we are talking about Christians here. We're not talking about unbelievers. And I think that this is the author's intent to make it clear I'm talking about Christians in this passage. And then we get to this, this second question. And we need to go back to verse 6, because he says it's impossible. Well, what's impossible? The beginning of verse 6, for those who have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. Now, what's going on here? Because at first glance, I believe it's very easy for us to come to the wrong conclusion about what these verses are saying. <clears throat> Many people have taken this to believe that this is talking about a Christian who has lost their faith and now they can never again come back to Christ. Uh, it's just a, a done deal. Well, what I've been saying and, and what I've said before, and what I'm going to say again this morning is I believe that the clearest teaching of Scripture is that Christians do not lose 
their salvation. And we always interpret the more obscure passages, like the one we're looking at this morning, in light of those that are more clear. And I believe you can, for example, go to uh, John 10, 28 and 29 for a clear teaching on this. This is Christ saying, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, there's other passages you can go to as well. Romans chapter 8, uh, if you go to verses 28 through 30 in that area, it talks about you were chosen in eternity past, you were saved to eternity future, and there is no off-ramp in that, those verses. It's called the golden chain, as a matter of fact. So I think in the clearest teaching, we don't see examples of people losing their faith. But the question is, well, what does the falling away mean then, if it's not talking about people losing their salvation? And I believe that we're clearly talking about a Christian who has gone astray. It is possible for Christians to lose sight of the truth. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go with Warren Wearsby on this one. I think he's got a really good, succinct way of putting this. He said, so first six describes believers who have experienced the spiritual blessings of God, but who fall by the side or trespass because of unbelief. Having done this, they are in danger of divine chastening and of becoming castaways. As a matter of fact, I'll look at that verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, a little more closely in a moment, which results in loss of reward and divine disapproval, but not loss of salvation. There's biblical cases, a matter of fact, of this happening. There were men, uh, two men that Paul called out named Hymenaeus and Philetus. And they had gone around teaching that people needed to go back to Judaism. And they had professed Christ. And he said he was actually going to turn them over to Satan. Not for loss of salvation. Not that they were just going to go to hell, but for chastisement. That they were going to receive punishment because of what they were doing. And I want to go quickly back to verse 6. Because it states that this, this, this impossibility... Uh, it's unpackaged more. I want to I go back and talk about this impossibility. What it means that they can't be restored to repentance. What, is that, what does that part mean? And it's explained more by the rest of verse 6. It says, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So this is describing a group of converted people who have turned their back on the Christian faith and therefore on Christ himself. And what have they done by doing that? What does it mean to have been turned to the truth and then committed this falling away, this parapiptosis, the, the Greek word is used. It's describing a, a person who's no longer adhering to the truth. Well, the text is saying that they're holding Christ in contempt. You could say it this way. When they first trusted him, they thereby acknowledged that his crucifixion had been unjust and the result of man's sinful rejection of the Savior. Now, do you get that part? That whenever they trusted Christ, they were saying, okay, this is God. And he was perfect. And he was innocent. 
and he was unjustly crucified by man. That's where they were, but they get to this next part. But by renouncing this opinion, they reaffirmed the view of Jesus' enemies that he deserved to die on a cross. Do you see that huge shift in belief and thinking? In this sense, they were crucifying the Son of God all over again. In this sense, they're acquiescing to the opinion of others that, okay, he claimed to be God, that's blasphemy, therefore he does deserve to die on the cross. So, their hearts were hardened. Verse, verses 7 and 8 continue to unpack this. And that part about no repentance, that means they could not be won back. Uh, it doesn't mean they needed to be won back to to conversion, but to commitment. It doesn't mean they need to be reconverted, but they need to be won back to commitment. Verses 7 and 8, they proceeds to describe this person as once bearing fruit, but now unable to produce anything but thorns and thistles. And what's going to happen? It says the land is going to be burnt. That's not to say cast into hell but to heavenly chastisement. I once said that God will send the hounds of heaven after us if we stray away from him. So there is this condition that believers can enter into, something I believe Paul references in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. What is he saying? His life could have been cut short. God may have disciplined him, rendered him unable to earn any heavenly reward by living and pursuing an undisciplined life. We don't want to be disqualified. Let me ask you, do you have a healthy fear of the Lord? Um, from time to time in my life, I've been driving down the road, and it's, it's the worst light that can light up on the dashboard. It's the one that says, check engine. And whenever I see that check engine light, I know that this is a warning that you better check that engine or else something far worse could happen. You could be left on the side of the road. You could, there's worse places to be than sitting in a mechanic shop waiting to get your car fixed as opposed to stranded on the side of the road in the middle of a snowstorm. And I'm reminded of Paul's words concerning the Israelites. They had sinned. Uh, they became desert wanderers. It says their bodies were scattered all over the desert. And talking about this, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. Remember, he's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to believers. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. We have these warnings in the Bible about not going the way that some have gone. Be careful when you're so sure that you're standing firm so that you don't fall. So they were giving this very strong warning, and there's certainly much that we can glean from it as well. But then we also, we also see they're given a wonderful encouragement. So then picking up the encouragement in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. 
the things that belong to salvation. Now look at the shift, okay? Now he's talking directly to the recipients. Um, and then if we, if we continue on, um, but before we get there, let me just say that uh, it's as though he's saying, look, I know I just talked about this thing, but I don't believe this is going to happen to you. It reminds me of whitewater rafting on the New River in West Virginia. We're about to go through this one called Double Z. And before he we went through that rapid Double Z, the guide stopped us and said, just so you know, two or three weeks ago, a few people died on this rapid. I'm like, are you serious? Hey, can I, can I get out of this thing right now? But then he went on to say, but I don't think any of that's going to happen to us today. And then he's all smiling and laughing. Well, wait a second. Well, this writer is saying, I don't believe this is you. I don't believe that that warning I just gave, I don't believe it applies to you because I see something different with you all. So then in verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints, as you still do. Uh, so, so don't be lazy like you have been. Um, you've been putting your faith into action. It shows by the way you've been serving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And then in verses 11 and 12, he talks about their sluggishness a little bit. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Again, you need to grow up. You need to grow on to maturity. You need to be patiently persevering while you're waiting God to fulfill his promises to you. You see, action on your faith promotes this kind of perseverance in the faith. Continuing to do the things that we know we should be doing help us to persevere and hang on to that which we believe to be true. Um, I love the way Barclay says this. He says, in the arid times, the best thing to do is to go on with the habits and the routine of the Christian life and the life of the church. If we do, we can be sure that the sun will shine again. Keep doing what we know we should be doing. Keep persevering even when it's hard. Faith looks to the promiser, while hope looks to the thing that is promised. So then what do I do with this? What do I do with this warning and this encouragement? And as believers, I think there's four positive reactions that we can have this passage in Hebrews. Uh, and, and the first one is to check your faith. Check your faith. Are you believing what Christians believe? You know, as much as I encourage uh, people to come to church, as much as I believe we all need to be here, and we do. And by the way, I use that phrase, come to church. Actually, we are the church, right? We come to the building, but we, we are the church. But please be careful not to think that just by being here and participating, that's what makes you a Christian. Sitting in this building no more makes you a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Conversion is necessary. Participation is good, but regeneration is a must. We have to have trusted in Christ fully believing that he's God, that he paid for our sins, this is how we are saved. It's a heart belief that we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So make sure you check your faith 
And, and the big takeaway from that warning that we're giving this passage is don't walk away from the faith. You know, even when your experience seems so completely contrary, even if you're in the, at the point where, where you're questioning, why do I keep praying about this? Because God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. When we're asking the question, God, where are you? Are you really there? Even when you're challenged, the key, don't stop believing. The key is to not stop believing. Keep struggling. Keep persevering. When you don't have all the answers, keep your faith in check. And then second, encourage the faith of others. Encourage the faith of others. How might you encourage someone who's in danger of dropping off the map? Who's considering dropping out of this Christianity thing for whatever reason? Maybe it's a young Christian who's being bombarded by a message that you don't need this Jesus thing to make it through this life. There's other ways to do it. There's an article called uh, Closing the Evangelistic Back Door written by a guy, Charles Arne, and he suggests that the process by which people come to be a Christian is a crucial determining factor as to whether or not they're going to stick with it. And there's some interesting findings in that article. One of those findings stated that new church members are more likely to drop out if they were introduced to Christianity through a manipulative process. Among those surveyed, 87% of those now inactive came to their point of decision through a church member who used manipulative monologue. This is contrasted with the 70% of those still active in the church who came to Christ as a result of non-manipulative dialogue. In other words, it's important that when you share Christ that you're also a sensitive listener. That yes, you know what the gospel is and you share it, however, you're willing to listen to the person's objections. Um, if God wanted to just force people into this Christianity thing, if he wanted to just make them Christians, yeah, he could have done it. He didn't. You know, Christ was one of the least successful evangelists in the Bible. Be careful that you have the attitude when you're sharing Christ. One, that you're not going to argue people into heaven. And then secondly, we are one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Have a conversation with someone. Dialogue with them. Don't make it into something to where you're trying to win an argument with them. Then third, prepare for the long haul. Prepare for the long haul. There was a second finding in that article that I brought up that said that dropouts are more likely to result from a process that neglects long-term development in the faith after a person has converted. Salvation is step one. Conversion is step one. But then that's to be followed by a lifelong journey of discipleship. Going deeper into the things of God. Learning more about Him. By the way, they are learning about this uh, in the church that's growing now. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And they're undergoing severe persecution. And the, the leaders there are seeing some of the converts succumb to the persecution, get scared, and run away. So they've said this. What persecution did was destroy the church that were not disciples. 
and destroy the church that were about converts, the leader noted. All these church planters found out that converts run away from persecution, but disciples would die for the Lord in persecution. So our model inside Iran is that we don't convert to disciple, we disciple so we can convert. Isn't that an interesting take on it? So we need to be making disciples. When you entered into this Christian walk, you were in, entering into a marathon, a lifelong marathon and not a sprint. So prepare for the long haul. We're in it for the long haul. And then finally, enjoy heavenly applause. Enjoy heavenly applause. Now, what, what do I mean by that? See, we all need to be encouraged uh, in this thing called Christianity that we're doing. And one of our great Christians' hope, hopes is that when we enter into heaven, Christ will look at us and will say what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. As a matter of fact, Max Licato talks about this homecoming. And he says that you may not have noticed, but you are closer to home than ever before. Each moment is a step taken. Each breath is a page turned. Each day is a mile marked, a mountain climbed. You are closer to home than you've ever been. Before you know it, your appointed arrival time will come. You'll descend the ramp and enter the city. You'll see faces that are waiting for you. You'll hear your name spoken by those who love you. And maybe, just maybe, in the back, behind the crowds, the one who would rather die than live without you will remove his pierced hands from his heavenly robe and applaud. I want to add one thing to this, that according to this passage we just read, God is applauding right now. Right now, he sees what you're doing in his name, and he's applauding you. So be encouraged, because right now, God is watching, and he's applauding us. So putting this all together, persevere in the faith by encouraging others and enjoying God's applause. Persevere by encouraging others and enjoying God's applause. I want to close. This is a statement by Isaac Disraeli, and he was a, a 19th century writer. And he said, It is a wretched taste to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellence, when the excellent lies before us. You know, don't just give in to mediocrity. Don't, don't just say to yourself, Well, what can I get away with? in my faith, in my Christianity. Pursue what's excellent. And show diligence to the very end, giving ourselves and others the source of encouragement, and living with this joyous awareness of heaven's applause. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that, I pray that we would understand that we have been warned that we've been warned of the danger of falling away. Lord, I pray that we would stay fixed on you. Lord, I pray that no matter what comes, no matter what virus or war or persecution would come our way, that we would always start at the place of fear in you and no one else and nothing else. And Father, I lift up the offering that we're about to take, Lord, I pray that it would be given in your name. And Lord, give us wisdom and how we would use the resources that you've provided.
the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Peace to you. Thank you so much for coming today. You're dismissed. <laughs>